Bienvenidos a La Raza Chronicles. Welcome to Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, we bring you an interview with breaking news on human rights abuses in Honduras. We speak with Jose Artiga, Executive Director of the Share Foundation, on what's happening on the ground in Honduras and what we can do to show solidarity with those organizing against these abuses. We also bring you an interview with artist Claudio Tallavera Mallón, who speaks to us about his work documenting through art the journey that many face through Central America and Mexico to enter the United States. And we bring you the voice of Michelle Cruz Gonzalez, author of The Spit Boy Rules, Tales of a Chicana in a, in a Female Punk Band. Tonight's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Brenda Iescas, and myself, Julieta Cusnil. We begin this program by condemning the recent coup in Bolivia, where Aymara President Evo Morales was forced to resign and leave the country receiving asylum in Mexico after violent groups ransacked his home and threatened further bloodshed in the country. Argentine President-elect Alberto Fernández said, What's happening in Bolivia is that there's a dominant class that will not resign themselves to losing power to the hands of a president who is the first Bolivian president that looks like Bolivians. That's what's happening. We are heartbroken to hear this news. We now bring you an excerpt about this from Democracy Now! Bolivia is in a state of political crisis after the longtime president, Evo Morales, resigned Sunday following what he described as a military coup. Bolivia has been the scene of weeks of protests since a disputed election last month. Morales announced his resignation in a televised address Sunday. To my brothers and sisters of Bolivia, the whole world, I want to inform you from Loaca Inye, I'm here with the vice president and minister of health that I have decided after listening to my friends at Conalcom in the Bolivian Worker Center and also listening to the Catholic Church to resign my position as president. Morales spoke shortly after the Bolivian military took to the airwaves to call for his resignation. Bolivia's vice president also resigned Sunday, as did the head of the Bolivian Senate in the lower house. Opposition leader Janine Añez, who is the second vice president of the Bolivian Senate, is claiming she will assume the presidency today. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and we're really lucky today to have José Artiga, who is the executive director of the Share Foundation, here in the studios with us. He has focused his life's work around highlighting injustices and attacks on sovereignty in Central America. He is working around human rights issues on the ground, and he's going to talk to us about a recent delegation that he was part of, accompanying a very important figure who is working for justice in Honduras, and we're going to talk to him about what is happening in Honduras and also what we can do to help support democracy and also clean air, clean water, environmental issues, so many things that are intertwined because it seems like the attacks in Honduras, along with El Salvador, are on many fronts. So, Jose, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you and good day. Jose, Tell us about who you were accompanying when you went to Honduras. Yeah, we had uh, Father Melo, who is a Jesuit, working in a radio. He's the director of the Radio Progreso in Progreso, Honduras. And um, he was here in the United States on a tour to highlight the situation in Honduras and also to invite people to be in solidarity. So he came, uh, we sponsor a number of events uh, in Sacramento, in Palo Alto, here in Berkeley, and then we accompany him back 
to Honduras because there have been threats against his life and we wanted to make sure that he will go home safe. And a group of six of us flew with him and uh, stay uh, for a few more days, you know, to learn and to be in solidarity with the teachers, uh, who is another sector that is also being persecuted in, in Honduras. Jose Artiga, as the director of the SHARE Foundation, you work closely on all of these issues, but we don't get enough news on what is happening in Central America here. We hear about people coming, but we don't hear why. Here on La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, we interviewed some incredible human rights activists who put their bodies on the line and actually are facing extreme consequences for protecting some of the basic things in their community, the water that was under attack due to transnational mining corporations that were greatly damaging their environment through their mining processes. And we spoke to activists, Maya activists, who are working just to ensure that their children would have water. Can you tell us a little bit about what the teachers are facing and what others you've spoken to are facing in Honduras at this moment? The teachers, you know, it's a particular sector that when there is injustice, you know, they speak out. I myself, I am from El Salvador, and during the war of the 1980s, there were 853 teachers that you know were assassinated or were disappeared or they were forced out of the country. Uh, not long ago, we had the 43 uh, teachers in Ayotzinapa. So it's a particular sector, and Honduras is not the exception. And when the teachers speak out, the system, you know, the government, of Juan Orlando goes after them. The way they have done it is that they single out uh, teachers in different parts of the country and suspend them, suspend their salary, but they still need to show up you know, and teach, otherwise they, they will be expelled. And uh, we accompany three uh, teachers. Adelso Reyes is, uh, is, uh, is the head of his union, the, the teachers' union in a large uh, community, and uh, he's very close to his students. And when the students occupy the, the, the school, the members of the conservative party uh, came and, you know, physically removed the, the banners, you know, which, you know, under local law, they cannot do that. They need to, you know, negotiate with uh, with the students, and ended up accusing Adelso of uh, organizing these these activities. It will be the equivalent of you know our high school students here at Berkeley organizing uh, a protest and being repressed. The concern that we have is that this is how they begin. You know, they begin with taking the salary away. Uh, in some cases, they make threats against their life, and we want to prevent or accompany the, the teacher so it doesn't escalate to the level of assassinating teachers as a very uh, particular group. Similar situation is happening with the doctors and nurses as the government of Juan Orlando wants to privatize uh, health and education. And it has been a very a large expressions of protest on the street. You know, people march 
and then the system goes and target the leaders and try to keep them quiet. Uh, same thing with the defenders of the river. You know, we have been accompanying this particular uh, river community of Wapinol in the lower Bahuaguan of uh, Honduras, and there are 32 of their leaders that the government has issued orders of arrest. Uh, just this very day, you know, seven of them, there was a, a hearing to release them and deal with them in, in freedom, and the government insists in keeping them in, in jails. And jails are not safe either, you know, jails... Just uh, a few days ago, a key witness, you know, was assassinated, uh, and this witness was going to uh, implicate the president of Honduras in relationship with narco activity. You know, his brother Tony Hernandez has been found guilty in New York, in a court in New York, where not you know a few pounds, but thousands of ounces of drugs that he was transporting to the United States, and the profit was directly given to to sponsor the elections of his brother, uh, Juan Orlando. So it, it is a narco state, you know, where the, the president is related directly to, to that activity. That's the voice of Jose Artiga. He is the executive director of the SHARE Foundation, and he was part of a delegation that went to go support and accompany some incredible activists that are fighting with much risk taken in Honduras for basic basic things like protection of their rivers, as we've just heard, and as well as other things like just the right to protest. So we do know that Honduras has the highest rates of impunity in terms of murders. It's the place where the most number of murders are going without investigation. We have a, a coup that has led to Juan Orlando being in power. He was not elected by the people. What are people from from SHARE or CSPES or other wonderful organizations that are working to highlight these issues doing or calling for at this moment? It seems like a time that there's a lot of uncertainty and very few protections for the people of Honduras. The first step on, is to cut military aid. You know, the United States government has to cut this aid. If you remember during the 80s, you know, that was the demand on El Salvador. The moment that aid that is uh, sustaining that government is, is cut, the government will collapse. There is a particular law, the Berta Cáceres law, that we are inviting, you know, people to contact the representatives and ask them to sign the Berta Cáceres uh, law that will uh, cut military aid. A uh, second thing that we are uh, inviting people to do is to to get educated themselves, you know, uh, because if you don't get uh, intentionally getting this news, you will not know what's what's happening. We ourselves, you know, have uh, sent about uh, 12 delegations in the last uh, six years, starting, you know, with the elections that were stolen, you know, from the, from the people. And we have been sponsoring delegations to go to Honduras, to go and what we call accompany, accompany the movement. We have one coming up for May, May of uh, 2020, where we hope to have, you know, a number of people across the country, you know, including, you know, women and youth, people from the different communities to go and, and walk uh, walk uh, in the shoes of the of the people down there to express our solidarity. 
situations is difficult, but we try to see things from a hopeful point of view. You know, a dictator is not, not going to be there forever. A dictator has to has to come down. But because Juan Orlando is not alone in doing these, you know, violations of human rights or, you know, using uh, drug money, because there are so many involved, you know, is that it's, it's hard to remove. Just a few days before, you know, his brother was going to be found guilty in, in New York, he was invited by President Trump, you know, to Washington, D.C., kind of telling him, don't worry, you know, we will be behind you. So a bad actor supporting another bad actor down there. So the slogan in the streets in, in Honduras is fuera ho. You know, people want this government to, to go out. And we see hope uh, in Latin America. We see people in Chile protesting, you know, we see people in Ecuador, we see people in uh, Brazil that are tired, you know, the slogan in Chile is, is not the 30 pesos, you know, it's the 30 years of uh, these um, neoliberal policies and that is what is, we believe, the root causes of immigration, you know, when people are being squeezed from all paths of lives, they can physically no longer be in those places and they risk, you know, the, the journey north, which they know is difficult, but staying sometimes is a guaranteed death and um, risking going north, they might have a small percentage of, of survival. So we uh, here in the United States uh, should accompany these struggles, you know, because at some point it's the same struggle that we are having here in the United States with our teachers, with our doctors, uh, with our uh, medical uh, system, with our housing. It's very similar. Down there in Central America, governments feel free to go the extra mile and physically squeeze the blood, squeeze the you know life of communities, and uh, that's why we we want to be uh, presente uh, with them in in the struggle. That's the voice of Jose Artiga. He is the executive director of the Share Foundation that's doing a lot of this important work. So you mentioned people coming here because of these imperialist policies, because of these neoliberal policies that are choking countries and not letting them breathe and thrive and grow and really do all the things that our countries can and should do. And you mentioned that people come here for that reason. So we are under a lot of stress right now with attacks around people being able to receive asylum in this country, TPS. And many people argue, TPS, that's temporary protective status. It's not been temporary for a lot of Salvadorans. <laughs> it's not been very temporary for a lot of people from other countries, from Sudan, etc., from so many people that are fall under this huge umbrella of, of TPS. So tell us a little bit. We know that the situation that the destabilization that's occurred in Latin America, as well as a lot of parts of the world, was not a one-time experiment. It's been an ongoing strangulation. So tell us what we can do and what people should do in terms of ways to support people who are on the journey here, who the, are coming here. Yes, the TPS, you know, uh, committee here in the Bay Area uh, has been very active, you know, in organizing educational events, uh, going to Washington, D.C., uh, doing uh, activities here in the in the Bay Area, and there is one activity that they are inviting us. is the Dia de Acción de Gracias de la Familia T TPS. is the you know Thanksgiving party 
that will be taking place um, this Friday, uh, November the 15th. And uh, we are inviting people to join. You know, there is um, uh, there, there will be uh, food, there will be music, and a way to get involved, you know, to get to know the, the refugees that have been here for almost 20 years. You know, their children have been born here. They are contributing to the economy. They must be good citizens, you know, complying with all the laws in order to maintain their uh, permit. And uh, we want uh, that community to become citizens of the United States. You know, long, long time ago, if you prove that you were here for 10 years, you automatically get your citizenship. Now they are denying it and kind of playing. You know, the, the Trump administration is some time ago says, if you give me the wall, I will give you an extension. Now uh, Trump has negotiated with the governments of El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, and says, if you move the wall you know, to the southern border, uh, we can give you an extension of, uh, of TPS. But that's mainly militarizing the borders. And the countries that are expelling the most people you know, to the north are now considered a safe third country you know, for uh, refugees to apply there, which is a joke. You know, the Honduras, you know, cannot be considered a safe country where the situation of violations of uh, human rights is uh, terrible. So this activity will be a good way to, to join. It will uh, take place on uh, Friday, uh, November the 15th, uh, and you can... Um, you know, uh, participate, you can call the committee at 510-680-5750 and you can participate. It will take place Friday, November 15th, and it will be a, a wonderful activity. Jose Artiga, can you also talk to us about the SHARE Foundation as well as CSPIS? And we, there's so many ways that people can get involved and there's so little information out there to really know what's happening in Honduras as well as El Salvador. It's totally the backstory of the why people are coming is completely neglected. So can you tell us about the work you're doing? Yeah, for 38 years, you know, SHARE has been accompanying the people in El Salvador and now in Honduras, we have sent about 10,000 delegates. Over the last 30 years, we have organized all kinds of delegations to be supportive of um, El Salvador. We support young people, you know, get an education. We favor women to get their small business, to get their organization going. Uh, lately, we have been supporting women to run for office. You know, and there are a number of them that have been elected mayors, uh, city council members, and they are doing the struggle from that point of view. We are helping and accompanying the human rights organization that are still uh, working very hard to bring to justice, you know, the military that was responsible for the massacre at El Mosote, the Sumpul uh, massacre. Uh, finding that disappears, some 10,000 people are still missing and um, the military doesn't want to collaborate. We are going to have here in the in December the lawyers that are taking the case of uh, Romero and El Mosote and uh, we will be having an event on uh, December 7th at um, University Lutheran Chapel and invite the community to, to join. So SHARE uh, wants to find the communities 
that one are organized uh, communities that uh, have an agenda trying to change you know from you know the grassroots and they are very powerful in terms of uh, staying focused on their organizing, staying focused on denouncing what is going on. When we compare the situation in El Salvador or Honduras, we can see, uh, and we are you know, very strong um, advocating that the communities uh, mobilize you know, and don't cross their arms when injustices happen. Again, you know, we, we invite people to go to Central America. You know, this March, it will be the 40th anniversary of Oscar Romero, and we will be having activities here in the United States, in different cities, as well as organizing delegations to go to El Salvador. Uh, we have another delegation going to Honduras in May of next year. So, you know, get your passport ready. You know, call us uh, at 510-848-8487, and we can, we can find ways. If there are people that wish to go, and don't have the resources, you know, we will find ways for you to to go. You know, young people should get out uh, of your, you know, a small uh, environment and reach out. You know, we need to go south. You know, we need to go to uh, El Salvador, to Honduras. We need to go to Chile. You know, we need to go to Brazil, you know, and accompany those communities because there's a lot of organizing happening. You know, people are saying basta. You know, people are saying these policies are not helping us. And at the very same time, they are making a few people mega rich. You know, the gap between the very poor and the rich uh, has increased. And these are the policies, you know, that, you know, these neoliberal policies are being implemented in our countries. So Juan Artiga, you are representing the Share Foundation, but you also were in coalition with people from CISPES, the Committee in Solidarity with the People of El Salvador. And CISPES is also working on this issue and also has breaking news on what's happening in El Salvador, as well as Honduras, because I think a lot of people are to see the urgency of being in solidarity with the people of Honduras that are being so brave and doing everything they can to stand up right now. And CISPES has been doing work for almost four decades. You know, it's four, 40 years of, you know, denouncing these policies in Central America, in El Salvador, Honduras, uh, great organizations, and uh, it's important for people to support uh, their, their efforts. Muchísimas gracias de nuevo, José Artiga. Thank you so much for all the work you've done for all these years to not just highlight and share with us what's happening on the ground in El Salvador as well as Honduras, but also to really speak in collaboration and in a united voice with people straight on the ground that are speaking to their needs and their urgencies. And we really appreciate all the work you're doing to build a better, more just world. Can you remind us, how can we find out more information online about your organization? You can go to our website, you know, which is share, S-H-A-R-E dash L Salvador, one word. Uh, dot org, you know, share-elsalvador.org. You can also call us at 510-848-8487, and we will be happy. We're right here on 2425 College Avenue on uh, campus, and we will be happy to talk to you and uh, get you going and in solidarity with our struggles. 
So if you have abuelitos, you know, if you have vecinos, anyone from these communities that you're like, I want to actually help. I want to be a part of what's happening. And the U.S. has done so much to to interfere with the growth and with the prosperity of these countries. We can all be a part of transforming that and addressing the injustices we see. So muchísimas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Thank you, Julie and uh, KPFA for being, you know, uh, the space where we can speak and tell the truth. to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza, and today we're really lucky to talk to a visual artist who has spent a lot of time depicting some social issues that are very dear to us and to our audiences. We're really lucky to have in the studio with us 
Claudio Talavera Bayón. He is a painter who does these huge, beautiful pieces that tell stories and depict people that are often left without faces and we don't get to hear the human story and we don't get to really understand issues of migration or issues of poverty, issues of marginalization. Could you tell us, Claudio, a little bit about some of the things that inspire you to paint? Hello, Julieta. How are you? Good afternoon to all your listeners. I'm really glad to be here today on your show. And yes, my name is Claudio Talavera Bayón. I am a visual artist from Peru and I live in San Francisco. And question you asked me about my inspiration. My inspiration comes from the simple life. I get inspired by farmers that harvest their crops, by fishermen pulling their nets filled with fish, by a landscape with different tones of greens, reds, yellows, by the beautiful landscapes created by farmers' hands. I get inspired by the wisdom of elderly people who go who often goes unnoticed. I get inspired by the campesinos, the farmers, uh, fighting for the land, by the, by the youth people for the rise to an education, by migrants and the huge sacrifices they make for the families, and the determination to achieve their dreams in spite of all odds. I also get inspired and motivated seeing how people get moved by the stories I tell through my paintings, especially the migration stories. That's the voice of Claudio Talavera Bayon. He is a painter, a visual artist, and he has done some really incredible work that people can see now. So your work has really touched on a range of topics, as you've mentioned. Tell us about some of the themes you've been exploring recently and that people can see now. Well, I started uh, painting when I was uh, very young. My mother knew how much I loved painting, so she encouraged me all the time. Uh, we frequently worked together in the countryside through the fields, and I also did some traveling across the small towns in Peru. I'm from a city, Arequipa, and when we came back each night, my mother encouraged me to draw what I, what I saw during the day. So I started drawing mountains and people and farmers, country scenes. I began drawing in the spirit of play. It was a game for me. When I decided to become a painter, I kept, I kept painting the same themes and subjects, farmers, ordinary workers, fishermen. And why I choose to paint these people? Because to me, they are the backbone of society. Uh, however, their important role often goes unnoticed and they are not valued as they should be. So I also consider artists to be ordinary workers. In my case, I work with my hands, like farmers or fishermen do. Um, I don't use computer, I don't work with any computer, and my job is to portray everyday people and the moment. So tell us about some of your more recent portraits. My current show is titled Somos Tierra Que Anda, We Are Earth That Walks. It portrays the migrants traveling in the recent caravan and people that help them along the way, like uh, Las Patronas. Uh, Las Patronas are a group of women that feed Central American migrants traveling atop a cargo train known as the Beast. Uh, La Bestia. Uh, that train crosses Mexico south to north. 
The name Somos Tierra que Anda, We Are Earth That Walks, is inspired by, by Tiempo del Hombre, a poem by Argentinian folk musician Atahualpa Yupanqui. In his poem, Yupanqui talks about the evolution of humankind and our connection to Earth in a very emotional and poetic way. For me, Somos Tierra que Anda refers to movement, to migration. Uh, humans are part of the, of the Earth. We are the Earth itself. We are Earth that breathes, that beats, that walks and migrates. Uh, the show is at the Itzai Arts Alliance in Oakland on International Boulevard. It will be on display there until early January and then it will travel to the Asian Resource Centers in Chinatown, also in Oakland. That's the voice of painter Claudio Talavera Bayon, and he is talking to us about his show that is available for all to see now. It's open until early January, I believe, um, at the Eastside Arts Alliance, and it will be traveling around. This show that people can see now includes images from La Bestia, and other immigration stories. Would you like to share with us any other aspects of what people can see in that show? Uh, I'm showing uh, scenes from La Bestia, from Las Patronas, uh, and from the, the, the migrant caravan. The, the paintings are with a little, a, a little uh, legend, a little story about who is in the painting. Yeah, there's so many stories about the migrants, no? And, for example, one of the stories that came to my mind is when we were in a shelter in, in Las Patronas, there, there was this girl, I'm I, I going to call this girl Carla, and this girl was waiting for a pair of shoes that came from donation. Uh, well, uh, with Mariela, with my wife, we said, okay, let's go to, to Amatran, the near town, to buy some shoes. And then... We take this person to with us to to the to the town to Amatlan uh, to buy the shoes. And when we were in a in a shoe store, uh, we said to to that girl that okay, choose whatever you shoes that you want. And the girl say no, they they, they don't want to have a new pair of shoes. And I say, but you need it, no, no. And and she said yes, I need it. But uh, if I if I wear a new pair of shoes. I'm going to call the attention in the trip. So I'm going to put on risk to my family. And that's, that, that's, that's what I want. We said, okay, uh, so let's pick up something, something that, that you want, that we want to give you. So the girl chose a chocolate bar, uh, sneakers. Okay, so when we come back to the shelter, she was told me about the sneakers. That was the first time that, uh, that she had a sneakers in her hands. And she always saw the advertising, the publicity, but she never get afford to buy a sneakers. And when we when we get into the shelter, there were more than ten or fourteen people inside, uh, in between migrants and the las patronas. And she took the chocolate, and she divided in fourteen pieces, and she shared with all the people was in the shelter. For me, that action was so human, so that I never forget that action from this girl, no, who was the first time that has uh, sneakers in her hands and she shared with everybody. 
was a really, really, uh, I, I can explain how I feel when I saw this, this action. Huh? I'm speaking to visual artist, painter, Claudio Talavera Bayon, and he is talking to us about some of the subjects and some of the issues that he tackles through his paintings. So, Claudio, it seems to me that you have really made it a point to highlight the stories of people who often are marginalized or treated as subhuman. And in our society, there isn't enough space to kind of hear from them and have the experience that you had actually going to one of these places where so many people are literally in a point of extreme stress and transition and Mm -hmm. fear. Mm -hmm. So tell us about in the past, what other things you've painted that for you, you felt moved to illustrate and moved to share with the world. I've been always interested in social issues and social justice. When I started painting back in Peru, as I mentioned, my first subjects were farmers, uh, market vendors, working class people, who helped me many times when I had no money, because as you know, making a living as an artist can be really hard. I grew up in a city, and then when I, be- when I became a painter, I moved to a farmer's community because they were more picturesque and cheaper. And that's when I realized how hard farmers work and how important their contribution to society is. And I began to admire and respect their lifestyles, their customs and traditions, and began painting them that that their lives wouldn't uh, go unnoticed. Uh, I also joined them in their fight for their rights against discrimination, exploitation, and displacement. Yeah, that's that's my life in in Peru. That's where I painted in, in Peru. So then after... After this, in one exhibit in Cusco, I met my wife, Mariela, who lives in San Francisco. So that's why I've moved to San Francisco. For me, at the first, it was really hard to find some inspiration because I didn't know what to paint. Uh, there were no farmers or fishermen like in Peru. There were no or rickety doors asking for painting them. started walking down the streets looking for inspiration without any luck. But then I realized that the children of the farmers and the grandchildren of the fishermen that I painted in Peru were also here with the same problems they had in my country, in addition to all the immigration issues that forced some of them to live in the shadows. So that's how I started painting migrants in the Mission District. That's the voice of Claudio Talavera Bayon, and he's talking to us about some of his earlier inspiration, and also he's chatted with us about his more recent show that people can see some of these really powerful images of the La Bestia, the train that many people take all the way from Central America through Mexico and all the experiences people have. It's almost like they're stuck in purgatory because they have a lot of fear, but they, they're they having to kind of push forward and hope that they can arrive here to the United States. Uh, my exhibit right now is on display in Itzai Arts Alliance Cultural Center on International Boulevard in Oakland. So the exhibit runs there until early January. And they will, will move to Asian Resource Cultural Center in 
in Oakland, in Chinatown. And Claudio, we have listeners that are listening very far away and won't be able to make that exhibit. Where could they see your art online or how can they stay in touch with your work for your future shows? Well, follow my webpage, uh, bayoncom There are my paintings and my coming shows in posted on the on the website. That is T-A-L-A-V-E-R-A dash B-A-L-L-O-N. So thank you so much, Claudio, for taking time out to come here and talk to us about your latest work. We're looking forward to seeing it in person. Thank you so much, Julieta, for having me. And thank you. Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Cosnid, and today we're really lucky to have Michelle Gonzalez on the line with us. She is part of the Howard Zinn Book Fair that's coming up. She's one of the amazing authors that we're going to get to see in conversation with others. She's going to be talking about her latest book and all the work that she's been doing to highlight the way that culture has been used to transform society and how we can really look and learn from all the many ways that people have 
used their culture work to transform their community. So, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. So, Michelle, you are going to be part of this panel with Alice Bag, and we're really excited to have this conversation because you two have been in such radical transformative spaces. And I just would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about what led you to decide to tell these stories for people that maybe weren't a part of these circles. So tell us about your book. Well, my book is called The Spitboy Rule, Tales of a Chicana in a Female Punk Band. And I decided to write it many years, probably a good 20 years or more after Spitboy, the band, broke up. It was a 90s um, woman hardcore punk band that was um, active in the Bay Area in the early 90s. And um, I decided to write it because I was the only person of color in the band. And I often in those days felt like my identity was invisible and punk is a very radical space in and of itself, but it does in some ways mimic, you know, the rest of society and does exhibit some of the same ills, even though we fight against them, that our society has. And, um, you know, racism or in back then colorblindness was not uncommon. And so I wanted to write a book that kind of explored how I felt at the time, how I feel about it now, and also just to sort of heal myself. <laughs> and so when you wrote Spitboy Rules, I think there are a lot of people, I'm one of them, that, you know, for us, our radicalization came through punk rock. It was this anti-authoritarian mm-hmm. way of just speaking our mind and being able to yell and scream and go against some of the things that we felt constricted by and contained by. Can you talk to us about you and your group and what issues you kind of felt most urgent at the time and how that kind of came through through the music? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I want to say that I couldn't have written the book, even though it critiques the scene and it critiques the band and that time period, that era. I couldn't have written that book about punk rock and critiqued it without punk rock if I hadn't been in the scene itself that does those things, that critiques society. At the time period that Spitboy was around, there were not a lot of women in punk bands, especially in the Bay Area, and there weren't any that I know of, hardcore punk bands that were all women in the Bay Area. And we, Spit Boys started either right before or right at the same time as Riot Girl, but we had no knowledge of them because they were up north, right, in Washington. And we just wanted to be a band and play the kind of music and have the kind of message that was missing, that we as women wanted. We were in the scene. We had Some of us had been in other bands or had written fanzines. And we just wanted to hear songs written by, about, and for women that addressed women's issues. So we are going to be able to hear you in conversation at the Howard's in Book Fair with Alice Bagg, who's also Mm -hmm. the author of Pipe Bomb for the Soul, Violence Girl, and other things. And she's also someone who's done a lot of work to think about how this was an environment that helped her grow as a performer, as a thinker, and also as a community builder. So when you think of some of the lessons learned, I mean, it seems from the book that this is like a tremendous place of growth. Like your time in the punk rock scene was like incredibly transformative for you as as a person and also for the others that were involved. Can you talk to us about some of the things that you point to as big learnings looking back and now as you are an educator and working with other young people, um, what are you seeing and learning about yourself through that time period, through analyzing that time? Well, I did read Alice's book like before or and somewhat during when I was writing the Spitboy Rule, I was very inspired by it, and I was very aware that she had written the first book about a Latina in punk, 
that was a memoir and I that I was writing the second and um my book addressed northern california punk and the issues that we faced here but um in terms of what i learned at that time period i mean it's it i can't even count the number of things i learned i mean i learned how to express my identity i learned how to be a person of color in america and in a punk band i also learned how to be in community with people and how to make art without ego. I learned how to do some really practical things too, like talk to people and book tours and, you know, budget and, you know, save my money so I can buy the plane ticket to Europe. Fortunately, Sweetboy was lucky. We were really good at saving our money and we made a decent amount of money in Europe. So we, we recouped the money that we saved, that we each paid towards our own plane tickets plus my salary that I missed at work when I was gone. So that was amazing. So we learned a lot of like really practical things as well. But when I went back to college, I was really intimately aware, made aware at how all the reading that I did about women's issues and the, the theory that I read and the interest that I that I gained partially through Spitboy, but also my own life growing up in a single household raised by a woman, really were things that prepared me for college, prepared me to give presentations in class, and then later prepared me to be a teacher. And also, I learned to really love and value young people and their voices and their experiences. And I think that's why I am as successful as of a teacher as I am and as well-liked as I am as an English professor. That's the voice of Michelle Cruz Gonzalez. We are talking about the Spit Boy Rule, Tales of a Chicana in, the, in a female punk rock band. And we are excited to be able to get to hear you in conversation with Alice Bag in just a few weeks at the beginning of December for the Howard Zinn Book Fair. And I just want to get a sense from you. When you talk to your students and when you share with them a little bit about your background and your learnings through this musical work, do you feel like the thread of like resistance and building your own and doing your own, creating your own way of doing things is such a big part of punk culture? And that's something that now I think is seen across the board, like young people are constantly like, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to do my own thing, I want to be my own boss, mm-hmm. I want to completely mm-hmm. just build mm-hmm. my own life and create it, I want to do something totally different from my parents. Do you feel like when you think about all the many things that you all battled against, where do you see you know young people in relation to how you were in the music scene? Do you feel like there are more opportunities for young people to see and imagine the world that they want to live in? Or are you feeling like the same issues are still at play? I think it's both. I think that, you know, the social media and the blogs and the, just the visibility that you can have as a, a young person online now is an opportunity that young people can take advantage of in, in the right way, in, a, in an ethical way that is both good for them and that, that puts things in the world that, that matter and that aren't vapid, stupid. But I also think that, you know, the world, the modern world that we live in now and those very tools that you know we often all use the social media and the internet can also be dangerous they can also lead to other ills if not used well and you know addiction and a need to you know constantly be liked or i don't know like there's a way in which social media and the internet helps us be seen but there's a way in which that it you know causes us to care about things that 
that might not be real. You know, we have to, there's real life out there. (laughs) I think sometimes we miss that. Even, and you know what, I say this, I'm talking about young people, but I've seen a lot of adults, people my age who become obsessed with just sitting in front of a computer or looking at their phone. It's not, this is not just a problem for young people. It's a problem for everybody. So we all need to find balance in our lives. I feel like for me, your book is such a great tool to share with young people. It's not a beautiful re-manicured photo of, you know, how easy things are. (laughs) If you just, you know, try hard, you can do it. It really speaks to all the many challenges that people encounter. And so people can actually get to hear you speak at the Cowards Inn Book Fair, which will be Sunday, December 8th from 10 to 6 p.m. at City College of San Francisco at the Mission Campus. It's a really beautiful event. I feel like some of the most interesting, thoughtful conversations Mm -hmm. that happen all year happen at this event. It's always exciting the way people are paired. I'm super excited to hear you in conversation with Alice Bagg, who's also incredible, and we're going to feature us on this program as well. People can stay tuned and hear her. I want people to know, how can they connect to your book? I know they can get it at the fair, but how can people connect to the writing that you're doing in ongoing way? Well, first of all, thank you for mentioning again the Howards and Book Fair. I think it's a really important event as well. I agree. And, you know, the experiencing real life, like the point I was making earlier, going to events like this and being in community with people and going out to seeing people in person and supporting local artists and not just looking at pictures of them on Instagram is what I'm talking about when I'm saying let's have some experience real life. In terms of my book, you can get it from PM Press online from their website and at the book fair. And it's in, it's still, it was published three years ago. It's still in many bookstores and um, you can find it at book fairs, of course, you know, online the other ways too. But uh, my writing, if you're, you can connect to my writing or find articles because I do write for a variety of different sites. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Chicana Brava on Twitter. I often link there and I'm on Instagram under the same handle, Chicana Brava. So thank you so much for all your work and we really look forward to seeing you on this jam-packed day. It'll be Sunday, December 8th from 10 to 6, but it'll be really fun and I think that it is an opportunity for people to bring folks like I definitely am going to be bringing a lot of my students. I think that it's something that literally at any generational point I feel like these are stories that I think are very universal because we all have had this experience of feeling like we want to be part of a movement but there are issues within the movement and how do we push forward that work Mm -hmm. along with being critical so you do that so well in your work which is really in many ways it's a love letter to the movement still it's still lifting up all these incredible things that you learned and that others and how we've all been shaped by you know these points of resistance in community so thank you so much for being on the line with us people can pick up sit boy rule at their local bookstore but please the howard's in books fair will be an incredible opportunity to hear this conversation gracias por estar con nosotros. Gracias, Julieta. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and this is the calendar of Cultura y Arte for the Bay Area. For Friday, November 15th, the Center for Political Education presents a presentation of an important movement tool born of a collaborative project begun in 2014 between leaders of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and scholars at Smith College. Together, they developed a digital timeline designed to put history into the hands of domestic workers. There will be a panel discussion with Matahari Women Worker Center, National Domestic Workers Alliance, and more. 
This is at the Eric Quesada Center for Culture and Politics, 518 Valencia Street in San Francisco. Starts at 7 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. Also for Friday, November 15th, the Mission Cultural Center is hosting their 16th annual Mole to Die For contest. The Mole Tasting Contest is your opportunity to savor delicious homemade mole recipes, vote for your favorite dish, and celebrate with the winners and special performances. This is at 2868 Mission Street in San Francisco. Starts at 6.30 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to missionculturalcenter.org. For Saturday, November 16th, join the band Huarango for a night of contemporary Afro-Peruvian music. Huarango is a contemporary proposal of Afro-Peruvian music with influences of classical music and jazz, anchored in the strong presence of Afro-Peruvian percussion such as cajon, cajita, quijada de burro. This is at the Red Poppy Art House, 2698 Folsom Street, starts at 7.30 p.m. For more information, go to redpoppyarthouse.org. For Sunday, November 17th, join La Peña Cultural Center for Cuban Rumba Jam. Come enjoy the Afro-Cuban folkloric drums, dances, and songs of rumba. Rumba is a word used for a group of related community-oriented music and dance styles in Cuba. This is at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. Starts at 3 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to lapeña.org. Also for Sunday, November 17th, join Bombazo en la Bahía for an afternoon of live bomba music and dance in a family-friendly, inclusive community environment. In between bomba sets, they'll be dancing to salsa, bachata, and reggaeton music. This is at the AU Lounge in Oakland, 2430 Broadway. Starts at 4.30 p.m. and is wheelchair accessible. And for Wednesday, November 20th, Gran Baile Celebración at the historic Centro Social Obrero. Long the heart of the Latino community in the Mission District, the Centro Social Obrero was for decades the place where new immigrants integrated into new society. Their legendary dances, social and political organizing events paved the way for the formation of new families in the Mission District. This event will be held at Jamestown Community Center, 2929 19th Street in San Francisco. Starts at 6 p.m. And this has been a calendar of Cultura y Arte for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to our calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at La Raza Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Yeah.